Okay, before we get into the January 6th committee hearing that's going to happen this week, it's supposed to, it's the first public January 6th committee hearing in prime time. It's supposed to be on Thursday evening at 8 p.m. There was a survey done by Rasmussen Reports, which is, I find to be absolutely fascinating. This is what the report says. It's about Dinesh D'Souza's documentary, 2000 Mules. It says that 77% of people who were surveyed said that the movie, quote, strengthened their conviction that there was systematic and widespread election fraud in the 2020 election. Now, pair that with how many people watched it, because if it was 77% of like 100 people, like, okay, that's not a big deal. But 20 million voters across our country viewed Dinesh's documentary. 77% of people who watched it out of 20 million. This is the breakdown by party lines. 19% of Republicans, 14% of Democrats. This is overall, by the way, how many Republicans out of all the Republican voters, how many Republicans viewed the documentary. 19% of Republicans, 14% of Democrats, and 11% of voters not affiliated with either major party report having watched 2000 Mules. Awareness of the new documentary is much more widespread with 41% of voters saying they've heard about 2000 Mules. That includes 50% of Republicans, 36% of Democrats, and 38% of unaffiliated voters. That means that that if you do the math on that, that's 15% of the people who voted in 2020, because 160 million people voted in 2020, 15% have seen this film, 77%. I mean, these numbers show exactly the extent of the doubt about the integrity of the 2020 election. And it's important to understand as we begin to talk about the January 6th committee and what a kangaroo court this is going to be, what their objective is going to be, what red flags to watch out for, what we really should be investigating about January 6th. As we dive into talking about all of that today, we have to understand at this foundational level, the number, the sheer number of people across our country who felt that their votes had been diluted, who felt that perhaps their votes had even been stolen, who felt that the integrity of their vote was under attack, not just that our democracy was under attack, not just that there was this abstract idea of voter fraud out there, but they themselves felt that when they cast their ballot, that vote, which is a critical part of the self-governance of our country, that that had been somehow violated, that it was not protected, that that it was vulnerable to someone stealing it and therefore stealing their voice from our our system of self-government, and therefore stealing their voice from selecting who the president of the United States was. This is also why the number of people who showed up in Washington, D.C. on January 6th showed up in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Because this many people felt that it was this serious of a threat to our entire constitutional republic. It's hard for me actually to wrap my mind around how many how many people this is. Because when you think of this number, 15% of nearly 160 million people voted who voted in 2020, the sheer number of people is staggering. It's hard to even make a comparison about how, how many that would be, how many stadiums it would fill, how many neighborhoods that is, of every single person having these serious doubts. And this is the background, the backdrop, I should say, um, This is the backdrop for our conversation today about the January 6th committee. So let's dig into that. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.
So I don't know if you guys have seen Matt Walsh's new documentary yet, What is a Woman? It's exclusively for Daily Wire subscribers. And this is the best documentary that I've seen in a really long time. The two documentaries that I've seen this year that have wowed me have been Dinesh's 2000 Mules and Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? If you haven't seen this, I highly recommend this because it, it, it's it's not just a vanity project. This, this documentary exposes the war that's being waged on reality in our country and exposes the people who are who are actively waging this war, be, meaning the radical left. The radical left is using as a tool this radical gender ideology, queer theory, we've talked about it here on the show, and how it's seeped into kids' classrooms, into the into medical terminology, into our everyday life. And and it's it's ruining children. It's it's targeting, intentionally targeting and ruining children. Matt Walsh went all around the world talking to surgeons and pediatricians and experts and psychiatrists and a tribe in Africa about gender and sex and asking the question, what is a woman? And he brought cameras with him, so we get to see his journey. You have to watch this. Go to whatisawoman.com right now. Subscribe, watch this documentary. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll scream, probably all at the same time. What is a woman.com? What is a woman.com? Okay, so the January 6th committee is going to stage a spectacle on Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern time. They are going to present to us what Adam Schiff tells us. <laughs> we all know that everything that Adam Schiff says, we should take at face value. We should believe him when he says that he has evidence because he has no history. Adam Schiff has no history of telling us things that aren't true simply in pursuit of his own agenda. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Adam Schiff is a despicable liar, a political hack, a very, very bad man. Adam Schiff claims that on Thursday evening, people across the country are going to be surprised at the evidence presented by the January 6th committee. And he claims we are going to see things that we have not yet seen before. Uh, our goal is to present uh, the narrative of what happened in this country, how close we came to losing our democracy, what led to that violent attack on the 6th. Uh, the American people, I think, know a great deal already. They've seen a number of bombshells already. Uh, there's a great deal they haven't seen. But perhaps most important is the public hasn't seen it uh, woven together, how one thing led to another, how one line of effort to overturn the election led to another and ultimately led to terrible violence, the first uh, non-peaceful transfer of power in our history. Uh, so we want to tell that comprehensive narrative. And uh, we're aiming at people, an audience, frankly, that still has an open mind about these facts. Yeah. Uh, we want to counter uh, the continuing propagation of big lies. And, and that's, that's what our goal is. You'll notice this word he uses that I think exposes his entire agenda here. He uses the word narrative. Our goal, he says, is to present the narrative of what happened. So his goal is not to investigate the truth. His goal is not to pursue reality. His goal is not to untangle the various stories that we've heard. His goal is not to uh, hold anyone who committed a wrongdoing accountable. No, no, his goal, Adam Schiff's goal, is to paint you a narrative, to try to get you to believe a certain thing. What is that certain thing? Oh, stay with me. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. But this is a an act of political theater. Adam Schiff is staging what's basically a political advertisement against Donald Trump because the Democrats are so frightened of Donald Trump, even to this day. Trump's not president right now. He's not in office. He's not in the White House. He's not in the Oval Office. But they're so frightened of everything that he is and everything that he's done and the fact that he, that he exposed them, that he defeated them in some ways, 
that they want to make sure that he's never eligible to run for president again. Not, not that they want to run someone against him and defeat him. They want to make it so that he's not allowed to run for president. This is a political theater. And when Adam Schiff mentions the first non-peaceful non transition in history, I almost laughed when I heard that phrase because I thought, okay, so Adam Schiff is defining what happened in 2016 as a peaceful transfer of power where the Obama administration through the Department of Justice and the FBI tried to stage a literal coup to prevent Donald Trump from ever taking office. And when he still won, when he still won in 2016, they tried to make it, they tried to take out the duly elected president with false allegations of Russia collusion. You call that a peaceful transfer of power? Well, of course, Adam Schiff doesn't because Adam Schiff was one of the biggest propagators of that lie, which is one of the most destructive lies our nation has ever faced. Adam Schiff claimed over and over and over again during the two year long witch hunt into Russia collusion that he had proof, he had evidence. If you just wait, he can't go into the details, he said, but if you just wait, he'll show you the smoking gun, he'll show you the bombshell. Adam Schiff didn't say that just once about Russia collusion. He didn't say that just twice. He said that over and over and over again. In which the Russians offered help, which we know they did. The campaign accepted help, which we know they did. Uh, the Russians then delivered help, which we know they did. There is circumstantial evidence of collusion. The case is more than that, uh, and I can't go into the particulars, but there is more than circumstantial evidence now, so. You've said on more than one occasion that you've seen ample evidence of the Trump campaign's Russia collusion. Last March, you said you had more than circumstantial evidence of treasonous collusion with Russia. I've certainly certainly said that there's ample evidence of collusion. Can you agree that there has been no evidence of collusion coordination or conspiracy that has been presented thus far between the Trump campaign and Russia? Uh, no, I don't agree with that at all. I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy. But we do know this. The Russians offered help. The campaign accepted help. The Russians gave help. And the president made full use of that help. And that is pretty damning. So how many times did he say it? over and over and over. And was it true? It was not. It was false. It was proven false time and time again. Adam Schiff is a liar. And one of the reasons that this January 6th committee is more dangerous than what happened on January 6th, 2021, is because Adam Schiff is involved. Because Adam Schiff has demonstrated to us that he is a liar. He does not care about the rule of law. He will use the power of the federal government and his seat in the United States Congress to target his political opponents purely because, solely because they dare to oppose his radical leftist ideology. If Adam Schiff is involved in the January 6th committee, he is weaponizing government to go after his political opponents. And if you want to talk about a narrative, we, we should pursue a narrative about January 6th. We should pursue what actually happened. If the January 6th committee wanted to prove to us that they had even a shred of credibility they would ask questions of witnesses like, will you release the 14,000 hours of footage from January 6th? And if not, why not? Isn't transparency necessary for the American people to see exactly what happened so that there's not a competing narrative coming from the right and coming from the left so that the American people can see the reality of the thing for themselves? So why are you hiding the 14,000 hours of footage? Why did, what, what about the January 5th footage? Footage from January 5th is just gone. It's like, it's like the footage from Epstein's cell. It just, what, disappeared? Did they just happen not to press record that day? It was just accidentally purged? Funny how these things happen during specific short periods of time when we actively need to see what happened. So where is that January 5th footage? Who's responsible? What happened?
If the January 6th committee had any credibility, they would ask these questions. But somehow I don't expect to hear these questions come Thursday evening. What about the communications between Nancy Pelosi and the FBI? between Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Police, between Mayor Bowser and Nancy Pelosi. What about those text messages, those phone records, those documents that that show us exactly what communication happened or what communication didn't happen because the Capitol was left vulnerable. The Capitol was left unprotected. And how could this have happened? Why did this happen? Those who were in charge of making sure that it was secure, what kind of communications did they have with the left, with members of Congress? This is This is something that we need to know, especially because One of the things that Adam Schiff is telling us in anticipation of this Thursday political theater is that the is that Mark Short, who was the chief of staff to Vice President Mike Pence, is going to he didn't Adam Schiff won't say if he's going to testify on Thursday or not. But we do know Mark Short's cooperating with the committee. But they have they have documents that show that Mark Short communicated with the Secret Service the day before, warning the Secret Service that they that that the Pence team was afraid that President Trump would turn on Pence and that that would create a security risk. I don't know the veracity of, of, of this presentation. I don't trust Adam Schiff. So if that's what Adam Schiff is telling me, I don't take that anywhere close to face value. I say, show me the documents, show me the contacts. I'll decide for myself. Your presentation is almost always a lie. But for the purposes of, of analyzing this, this is the claim that Adam Schiff is making. And this is significant because if it happens to be true, then Nancy Pelosi and the FBI and the Capitol Police and Mayor Bowser of Washington, D.C. should have all been discussing. They should have been notified the day before that there was an anticipation of violence the next day and thus secured the Capitol. So why weren't they? Where was this communication? What communications happened? What did they say? We need to know those things. If the January 6th committee wants to have a shred of credibility, but somehow I don't expect to hear that come Thursday. If you want to talk about narrative, then let's talk about the structure of this protest. We all know that this this protest started as a peaceful rally with President Trump outside the White House. President Trump did not incite an insurrection. He he told protesters to peacefully and powerfully go protest outside the Capitol. We we suspect there that FBI was involved here. We know that there were Fed boys at the rally. We um we've all seen the video of of individuals like Ray Epps who appear to be coordinating the destruction of the barriers into the, the, the protected space where, where crowds were not allowed into the restricted area. So what was the FBI involvement? Were there FBI informants that were embedded in any of the, any of the groups that came to protest? Were, were there FBI or other alphabet soup agencies that were milling about the crowd? What role did they play? Did they encourage anybody? Did, did they detect any violence that was going to be committed before it was committed? What did they do if they encountered this kind of plan? Did they facilitate anything? Did they, did they, did they make it happen? Did they entrap anybody? And no, I don't take the FBI's word for it. And no, I don't take Ray Epps' word for it. If this committee was a serious committee, these are the questions that they would be investigating. But they're not. They're simply not. They also have said next to nothing about the political prisoners who've been held in violation of of their right to due process for a year. These individuals, who many of whom were kept in solitary confinement, based based on what? The charges against these individuals are for nonviolent obstruction crimes for the most part. And yet they're kept in solitary confinement for over a year. This committee, this committee, if they if they if if Adam Schiff cares even a fraction as much about democracy as he claims, then he would be outraged about the treatment of these political prisoners. But I haven't heard him say a word about them. Nothing. Nothing at all. 
And so the January 6th committee is shaping up not only to be political theater, but proving themselves to be more dangerous to our constitutional republic and to our freedom and liberty, to our relationship between the governed and those who govern, be more dangerous than, uh, than a protest that, that got out of hand on January 6th of 2021. And Adam Schiff is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why. The other reason why is because the January 6th committee subpoenaed Peter Navarro, who was a Trump advisor, and they did not just send a subpoena. They didn't, they didn't just serve him. They served him and he didn't respond. He, he claimed this was, this was the statement that he provided about why he disregarded a congressional subpoena, because that's a big deal to do. That's not, that's not an advisable action in general to, to ignore a congressional subpoena. We have to respect our rule of law and, and the investigative and oversight role of the United States Congress. However, this was the statement from Peter Navarro. He said, over a five-year period, Congress has weaponized the investigatory powers of Congress in a way that's unconstitutional. Congress has the right to investigate, but only for non-punitive legislative purposes. What that kangaroo committee is doing now is investigating for punitive purposes. They're essentially acting as judge, jury, and executioner. And he, he makes a pretty good point, right? He, it's pretty evident what they're doing. And it's evident based on their behavior towards him. What did they do? He was about to get on a plane. They arrested him. The FBI arrested him as he was about to get on a plane to speak at a political conference. They arrested him for not responding to their subpoena. Compare this for a second to Michael Sussman. Michael Sussman, we talked about Michael Sussman briefly last week. He lied to the FBI about whether he, during, during the 2016 presidential election, whether he was working for a client, meaning Hillary Clinton, or whether he was acting alone as a, as a concerned citizen when he told the FBI that he had evidence of, of Trump-Russia collusion. It was the Alpha Bank allegations. He told the FBI, no, no, I'm not working for any client. And it was obvious that he was working for Hillary Clinton. There's proof of that. He, Durham indicted him. He went to trial and the jury found, the jury acquitted him. They acquitted him. Why? Not because the evidence didn't prove that, that he had in fact lied to the FBI. The jury explained themselves and admitted that they simply didn't think that this was a big enough case that should have been prosecuted. So they played both the prosecution and the jury in this case. Why? Because they were radical leftists. They donated to AOC and to Hillary Clinton and to other Democrats. One of the, one of the jurors had a kid on Sussman's, on a sports team with, a, with Sussman's kid. This, this extreme conflict of interest, this bias from this jury pool in Washington, D.C. And so think about, think about this as a comparison. Sussman, who did commit a crime, a significant crime, that allowed the Democrats who, who were in charge of government at the time to, to target President Trump the way that he did, he gets acquitted because of his politics. And then we have Peter Navarro, who was arrested at an airport. Like, what, what is he a, is it, is, did he just pull an international heist? Is he a fugitive from justice? No, he declined a subpoena from a very biased, very partisan committee that has no credibility in the staging a witch hunt. It's a two-tiered justice system. And again, think about Eric Holder. Eric Holder, former attorney general under the Obama administration, he was held in contempt of Congress, just like Peter Navarro was, um, because Eric Holder resisted a congressional subpoena relating to Fast and Furious, that gun running operation that the Obama administration was running that resulted in the death of a U.S. Border Patrol agent when he was, he was murdered with one of the guns that the Obama administration let the Mexican drug cartels have and then claimed that the reason that they were letting these cartels have our weapons is to track those weapons. A U.S. Border Patrol agent was murdered and Eric Holder, attorney general at the time, was held in contempt of Congress for resisting a congressional subpoena. And what did the Obama Department of Justice do? Did they arrest Holder at an airport? Did they stage this, this massive 
oh, this massive dramatic handcuffing of Eric Holder? No, they did not. No, no, they did not. The Obama Department of Justice immediately announced that they weren't even going to prosecute Holder. They shrugged their shoulders. They didn't care. So where was Adam Schiff then? How big of a threat to our democracy was it at that time? Because it seems that there's a double standard. When it's a Democrat, it's totally fine, not a threat. When it's a Republican, well, call in the choppers, get the searchlights, bring out the canines. Let's have a massive arrest of an international fugitive. If the January 6th committee wanted to be taken seriously, then they would not be behaving in this way. They're behaving in this way for a reason. They're exposing their true colors. Their true colors is they're staging a partisan witch hunt in a way that's using the power of the federal government against us as American citizens, against our right to assembly, our right to free speech, our right to have political differences, our right to criticize the government. And they are, through their behavior, showing us that they are much more dangerous than what happened on January 6th, 2021. And then, of course, we have the protests that happened outside of the Supreme Court. Now, I like Cozy Earth Sheets because they address a problem many of us have. So let me ask you a question. How did you sleep last night? Now, if you answer this question, well, not so great, or just okay, or don't ask, then you are not alone. One out of three Americans report being sleep deprived, and your sheets on your bed could be part of the problem. That's why I like Cozy Earth Sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. Uncomfortable. Terrible. The solution, Cozy Earth Sheets. They are the softest, most luxurious, and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud, which actually makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows Cozy Earth Sheets to breathe. So you sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. Cozy Earth even offers a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, try it out, If you are not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. You can now save 35% on Cozy Earth bamboo bedding, 35%. If you go to my URL, it's CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. You have to hurry because this offer ends soon. It's CozyEarth.com slash L-I-Z-3-5. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. Okay, so then we have the reality of the legal scenario that many of these protesters from January 6th are facing. And many of these protesters, about 800 people have been charged, um, have been charged following, following that protest that, 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 that went wild, that turned into some law-breaking activity and some violence, which of course we do, we do not endorse, um, that part. Although I will not ever conflate the peaceful protest that happened on January 6th with the violence. That was a few fringe crazies. And that's separate from the vast, vast majority of people who were present for a legitimate concern on that day. And those people should not be demonized. The left tries to demonize them. And that should also tell you what the true agenda of the left is. They want to paint us all as terrorists. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in holding people who broke the law accountable to the law. So what law exactly was it that the that some of these individuals on January 6th broke? Well, according to the Biden Department of Justice, who has charged them, the law that they broke in large part was 40 U.S. Code 5104. And what that what that federal statute does, it, quote, bans the parade, it bans parade, demonstrate, or picketing in any of the Capitol buildings. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a protest inside the Capitol. That's all it is, a protest inside the Capitol. It's, it's illegal. A lot of them were also charged, a lot, of these, a lot of these folks from January 6th, some of the 800, were also charged under 18 U.S. Code 1512. What does that statute say? That statute prohibits protests 
quote, that otherwise obstruct, influence, or impedes any official proceeding or attempt to do so. So these are two nonviolent crimes. One, simply you're not allowed to protest inside the Capitol, and the other is you are not allowed to obstruct or impede a federal or official, an official proceeding. Those are fairly benign things to be charged for. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying this is not throwing a Molotov cocktail at an NYPD car. Oh, that's a real thing. And we'll talk about that in just a second. This, this, is, this is what the January 6th, many of the January 6th protesters, many of these 800, these, these threats to our democracy were charged under these very, very vanilla, very boring, very dry, very dry statutes. You're not allowed to protest inside the Capitol. You're not allowed to obstruct, even peacefully, a official proceeding. Okay, I understand why, but let's just understand what the charge is. Compare that to the protesters outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes, outside of Brett Kavanaugh's home, outside of Amy Coney Barrett's home, um, after the majority opinion, that, that draft opinion was leaked by the Supreme Court leaker who, funnily enough, not to get off on a tangent here, the FBI still claims, or the marshal of the court, I should say, still claims they're not sure who it is. Right, right. After, after this amount of time, you can't determine exactly who that person is out of a pool of 12 Supreme Court clerks who are liberal. Sure, okay. Again, the bias of the federal government here. So these, these people, these, these pro-abortion picketers, we'll call them, outside of these Supreme Court homes, were also in violation of federal law, a federal law that was very, very similar to the law under which the January 6th protesters were charged. This is what federal law prohibits protesting outside of a Supreme Court justice's personal residence. 18 U.S. Code 1507 prohibits picketing, parading in or near a building housing a court of the United States or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer. They are prohibited um, when it is done with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice. So it's almost word for word, identical. Yet, what's the difference? The January 6th folks have been rotting in prison for the last year, and the folks that were parading and picketing and protesting and impeding outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes in violation of a, of, of a statute that is nearly word for word the same? Nothing. Nada. The Biden Department of Justice has zero intent, zero interest in charging any of those people. The January 6th committee has proven themselves through their behavior that they are more dangerous than what happened on January 6th, 2021. And this is why. They have no interest in the rule of law being applied fairly to people blind to the political views of the individuals being charged. They are using a, a, a fe the federal government, the executive branch of our government, as a way for one political party, the Democrats, to target their political opponents. This, if you think this is bad, if you, if you think, by the way, if you think, if you thought James Comey was was a terrible FBI F, FBI director. Just wait till you wait till we think about Merrick Garland for a second. Merrick Garland is the current Attorney General, and on January sixth, the guy in the horns. His name was Jacob. His name is Jacob Chansley. What he did is he walked through the Capitol door, which was open. He did not break it down. It was open. He stopped and he spoke with police who were inside the building. They did not try to stop him. After which, Jacob Chansley entered the Senate, the Senate chambers. He essentially did nothing, just milled around for a little bit, got some photos, and then he left. He has now spent 
317 days in solitary confinement. He has been labeled by the Biden Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, as a domestic terrorist. The prosecution attempted to put him in jail for 51 months. His ultimate sentence was 41 months. This is an individual who had no prior criminal record, who suffers from mental health issues, who, yes, pleaded guilty to nonviolent obstruction of justice charges or obstruction of an official proceeding charges under coercion. This is how January 6th protesters are treated by the Biden Department of Justice. And then we have in, then we have in 2020, the, the, the summer of rage, the Black Lives Matter riots across our country that, that ruined our cities. We have two lawyers from New York named Urij Rahman and Colin Ford Mattis who firebombed a New York police department car, an NYPD cop car. They firebombed it. They were handing out Molotov cocktails to other people, encouraging them to do the same thing. And they are now serving time in prison, half the amount of time that Jacob Chansley is serving in prison. Now, keep in mind here, originally the Department of Justice had charged these two lawyers. These are attorneys. These are professionals. Originally, the Department of Justice had charged them with terrorism. They could have served 10, 20, 30 years in prison for this. But now the charges have been, have been significantly reduced. Now it's, it, they're, they're simply conspiracy to commit arson and possession of an explosive device. 18 to 24 months in prison, between a year and a half and two years. This is the Biden Department of Justice. On one hand, they sentence, they, they treat and charge and sentence people related to January 6th as if they're domestic terrorists. And then because, they're, because they, they had a problem with election integrity, they were concerned about whether there was voter fraud and other shenanigans in the presidential election in 2020. And on the other hand, we have Black Lives Matter protesters who actually were acting as terrorists. They were firebombing cops and, and encouraging people to stage violent revolution, giving them the means to do so, the weapons to do so. And they're just gonna serve a little bit over a year in jail. And they're just gonna they're just gonna plead guilty to uh, conspiracy to commit arson. That's it. Merrick Garland has has told us that one of the reasons that they're that the Biden Department of Justice is going after January sixth uh, protesters to the extent that they are is because he said they were going after police officers. The January sixth the, the the fringe people who were committing violence were a threat to the safety of of police officers around the Capitol. And Merrick Garland says we won't stand for that. That's why we have to charge them to the fullest extent of the law. But these, these two Black Lives Matter writers actually tried to murder police officers in the most grotesque way by, by burning them alive. They burned up, they firebombed a car. They were, they were hurling Molotov cocktails. And these folks get off easy. But you, you won't hear any of this in the narrative that's going to be painted by Adam Schiff and, and Liz Cheney on, on Thursday evening. During this, this kangaroo court, this showboat trial, this, this political theater, none of it. The January 6th committee is not only a joke. A joke is actually, it doesn't even get to the substance of how dangerous this committee is, how incredibly dangerous this committee is. The January 6th committee is absolutely disinterested. It's shocking how disinterested they are in what actually happened on January 6th. What role did the FBI play? What, I, I don't understand how anybody looking at this story can sit here over a year later 
and believe a single word that we were told as it was unfolding. Because as it was unfolding, I, th- I, I remember getting headlines about this and thinking, oh, dang, this does not look good. What is happening here? But those headlines didn't tell us the whole story. Those headlines were biased from the very first breaking news, push notification. Those, those stories were biased because the truth of the matter is it was a mostly peaceful protest that started at the White House with Trump. Trump never called, never incited an insurrection. What these people on the January 6th committee are doing now is they're attempting the criminalization of half of Americans, half of Americans. Trump didn't incite anything. There was no coordination for any of the violence beforehand. There's been investigations. We already know this. What we don't know is, did police officers open the doors of the Capitol and let people in? And if so, why? And if they did, why is this being ignored? More importantly, why are these people being charged as if the cops didn't open doors? Did, did somebody outside of the Capitol, when all those barriers were, were showing people where restricted areas were, did somebody move the barriers and allow people to enter the restricted zone, move the barriers before people even arrived so that when people, uh, when people did arrive, they didn't recognize where the restricted area was and so unknowingly went into a restricted area and then were criminally charged for it? Did someone move those barriers? And if so, who? Did police beat the woman in the tunnel? Why don't we have, the, why don't we have full video of that? Did FBI informants encourage, did they organize violence? Did they take part or facilitate any of the lawbreaking activity? And if so, are we going to get accountability and answers for this? Or are we just going to take the public relations department at the FBI at their word? Why on earth would we, sh- why would we do that? Why would we believe them? And were agencies, these alphabet suit agencies of the federal governments, were they geo-tracking people? The way, the, the way that is actually described by Dinesh D'Souza in 2000 Mules was this geo-tracking of people's phones. Was this happening by the government? Were they, were they, were they essentially surveilling private citizens leading up to January 6th, not during the protests, not after, before? And if so, on what basis? Why were they doing this? They had to be doing this because there's no other explanation for how quickly some of these people were found and arrested and indicted. There, that wouldn't have been possible had it not been for geo-tracking surveillance. So what justification was there for this? Who was doing it and who was being surveilled? The January 6th committee is so disinterested in any of these questions and any of what actually happened on January 6th because, well, their motive is clear. They're simply, they're simply trying to make it impossible for Republicans to ever win an election ever again. That's their real goal. That's the most important takeaway that we're going to see on Thursday night. Now, I like Genucel because it works. How old does your mirror say you are when you look? Ladies and gentlemen, you can delay this question for five, 10, even 15 years with the new ultra retinol serum from Genucel. Marina from Fort Lauderdale, Florida tried it and loved it so much. Let me read to you what she says. She writes to us, great product, My skin loves it. I've spent more money on creams over the years enough to pay off my house. Just kidding, she says, but it feels like that. This product has changed my life like no other. Now, Marina's flying high and we appreciate the endorsement with Genucel's new ultra retinol serum with hyaluronic acid. This technological wonder hydrates your skin at a cellular level and builds on this deep moisture with the incredible anti-wrinkle effects of phytoretinol. You can go to genucel.com slash Liz right now for up to 50% off the brand new ultra retinol serum. You're going to be amazed with the results or you can get your money back. You'll also get Genucel's immediate effects for results in 12 hours or less. Free with your order if you use my URL, genucel.com slash Liz. It's spelled G-E-N 
ucel.com slash Liz. Free express shipping, free returns, exquisite customer service. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. genucel.com slash Liz. Okay, so one of the important things to watch for on Thursday night will be what exactly is Adam Schiff? What exactly is Liz Cheney? What exactly is this Is this committee? Jamie Raskin, Adam Kinzinger, all the rest of them. What are they trying to criminalize? The answer to that is they're not trying to criminalize people entering the Senate. That's already against the law. And those, those who did it should be held accountable to the extent that the law says. But what are they trying to criminalize? They're trying to criminalize our free speech and our free thought. They're trying to label speech they disagree with, especially political speech that contradicts their ideology. They are trying to conflate that and thus, thus label it as actual violence. If you have questions about the integrity of the 2020 election, that must mean that you have caused other people to commit violence. This is actually the destruction of our First Amendment right to free speech. If they are allowed to destroy the First Amendment like this, that will actually cause the fall of our constitutional republic. Our constitutional republic and our system of self-governance cannot stand if we the people are not allowed to criticize our politicians, if we are not allowed to hold our government officials, elected and unelected, accountable for wrongdoing, if we are not allowed to be skeptical, if we are not allowed to air our opinions and voice our differences and criticize others, if we are not allowed free speech, then self-governance cannot be. This is not hypothetical. This has been shown time and time again through history in authoritarian regimes, in dictatorships, in communist nations, in socialist nations, under Marxist ideology, when free speech is stifled, abusive government becomes all-powerful. Because the reason that an all-powerful government doesn't constantly abuse us as their citizens is because we as citizens can vocally have recourse against the government simply by exposing what they're doing to us. And if we are stifled, then an, then an all-powerful government will become an all-abusive government. When you stop and think that this is what Adam Schiff and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and Jamie Raskin and all the rest on the January 6th committee, this is what they're trying to do, then you recognize that the January 6th committee is now leaps and bounds more dangerous than what happened on January 6th, 2021. This is an actual threat to our nation. And the despicable part of it is that these radical leftists who have been criminalizing their political opponents, using and abusing the power of the federal government to target those who disagree with their Marxist ideology, they, they've been stoking fear in our nation about, about our, our, our system of government falling. They've been exploiting this fear that they created, and they're doing so in order to push their own political agenda, their own anti-American government agenda. And I say anti-American government not to be bombastic, not to be hyperbolic. I say this because the, the, one of the foundational parts of our government, of our country, is the structure of our government, the system of checks and balances that happens, that the executive branch isn't all powerful, that it's the executive and the legislative and the judicial, and they all have separate but equal powers, and they, they, they work against each other in order to work with each other so that one branch does not become, well, a dictator. Our federal election system isn't a federal election system for a reason. 
because it would be too easy for the federal government, if we federalized elections, to conduct them unfairly. There'd be too many opportunities for fraud and for the party in control of the facilitation of the election to do so in an abusive, dishonest, or, or, or cheating manner. That's why we don't have a federal election. It's run by states. That's why we have the Electoral College. It's a protection against corruption and against evil. But what the Democrats on the January 6th committee want to do is they're using, they're using January 6th and the fear that they've created, the targeting of political opponents, and now this, this showboat, this showboat hearing, this political theater in order to push their politics, their pre-existing political, I guess, wish list on the American people under the guise of telling us that if we don't pass these, these Democrat pet projects, then January 6th is going to happen again. And our, our, our democracy, our, our very country is at risk because this is what they're asking for. They want to abolish the Electoral College. Jamie Raskin specifically wants to abolish the Electoral College, leaving flyover states in America without a voice, leaving, leaving the coasts to govern the rest of the nation, because that's where the concentrated population is. It would abolish our federalist system if the Electoral College was abolished. If we had a, a, a popular vote for president, that's ripe with enormous fraud. Enormous, there's enormous opportunity for, for voter fraud to actually play an even bigger role than it played in the 2020 election. It would be easy to do that. And it, it, would, it, would, it would be impossible to govern a nation as large and as diverse as ours with a popular vote because the popular vote would come from big cities like, like, like Dallas, Texas and Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York City. And you know all the big cities around the edges of our country would not be taking into consideration the interests of all of the states and all of the people that live in the states and the, the businesses that rely on that farmland in those states. Their interests would not be taken into account by, by San Francisco and New York City. Yet this is what the Democrats want. They also want to pass the For the People Act. The For the People Act nationalizes our, our system of government. It's, it would no longer be each state running their elections. It would be the federal government dictating how election structures in every state were to operate, including forcing states to adopt same-day voter registration, to forcing states to adopt early voting, forcing states to auto-register all individuals, which I don't need to tell you how vulnerable that leaves the voter registration lists to, to people who are not eligible to vote being on the voter registration lists. There, there, there's provisions in the For the People Act that would force the registration of 16 and 17-year-olds who aren't eligible to vote, but just getting them registered early so that they're ready, they're already registered the day they turn 18. That's not right for fraud at all, let me tell you. They would mandate this For the People Act would mandate no fault, ab no fault absentee, which is essentially the universal mail-in voting. The, the witness signatures or notary requirements on absentee ballots would not only be degraded, it would be completely banned. Um, absentee ballots, states would be forced to accept absentee ballots 10 days after the election. Um, it would require, this piece of legislation would require states to allow voter harvesting. Keep in mind that 24 states in our country currently ban vote harvesting. And the federal government, the, these, these people on the January 6th committee want to overturn the will of the people in 24 states who have chosen this law to be on the books and force those states to allow vote harvesting in their states. Why? Why do you think? Under the For the People Act, which the Democrats on the January 6th committee are trying to force on us under the guise of saving our democracy from the rioters on January 6th, voter ID laws would be banned. 
Now, in this case, 36 states across the nation have voter ID laws. They'll be told you're not allowed to do that by the federal government, by the Democrats on the January 6th committee. States would be forced to allow felons to vote. State legislatures would no longer be allowed. They'd be forced to relinquish the power to draw congressional districts. These so-called independent commissions, independent commissions, would now draw congressional districts in states across, on, across the nation. You get the idea. This, this bill is a Democrats' wish list, their dream projects of how to make sure that elections are electioneered in a way that would never allow a Republican or a conservative to ever win an election ever again. They want to abolish the Electoral College. They want to pass the For the People Act. And finally, they want to criminalize President Trump because they cannot stand the idea that he's even allowed to run for office again in 2024. They wanna make it so that he can't run again. They also wanna make it so that no good person would ever want to throw their hat in the ring for fear of being targeted in the way that they've targeted President Trump for years. This is the reason for the January 6th hearing on Thursday. This is what to look for. Look for, look for their goals, look for their solutions. What are their solutions? Are their solutions just this wish list of radical leftist ideas that would destroy our nation? Are they interested in the facts? Are they looking for accountability? Do they, do they address the idea of our justice system being blind to politics? Are they looking for, for a neutral application of the law? No, they are not. They certainly are not. The January 6th committee has proven themselves to be far more dangerous than what happened on January 6th, 2021. Join us on Locals. We are going to talk about Drag shows for children. I wish I didn't even have to say that phrase. It's so abominable. The videos have been circulating of a drag show in Dallas that specifically hosted a drag show for children. And it's as grotesque as you can imagine. And there's a way that politicians should, should get involved in this. Certainly parents should not be idiots. And if you take your child to this kind of event, you are a bad parent. But politicians should also step in here. And we're gonna talk about that on lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Join us over there, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. You can sign up for free at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code ACCESS, that will get you one month free on your annual subscription. So head over there, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.